culture, society. On every street and around every bend lies a world positively overflowing with both. But sometimes we can all use a night in, removed from the endless spiral of chaos and absolute nonsense that waits outside our doors. And for those nights, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop local stores and compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get your favorite drinks delivered to your door in under 60 minutes. All from the comfort of your couch. Because society is great, but it doesn't have your couch. And it's windy out. And you forgot your jacket. And oh my God, would you look at the line at that place? Are you serious? I... (sighs) So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. You're listening to hashtag no filter with Zach Peter. I don't even know what to say. I mean, I covered the election for a solid, what, six, six weeks here on no filter. We listened to, to both sides. We listened to team Trump. We listened to team Hillary. We had people from rock the vote come out uh, to teach you guys about voting and, and encourage you guys to go out and vote. And I'm proud to say that California did end up voting blue, my state. And there were a lot of other um, great states that, that voted blue as well. But unfortunately, we, we lost this election. And, you know, as of yesterday, as of this week, Donald Trump is now, dare I say it, the new president of the United States. And here to help me make sense of it, I have the senior politics editor at Elite Daily. He was on earlier this summer um, to talk to us about why we should vote for Hillary. Please welcome back onto the show, John Haltzwanger. Well, hey there, Zach. Thanks for having me. John, what happened last time we were talking about why everybody needs to go out and vote for Hillary? And uh, now, I think, uh, and now uh, here yeah. we are. Um, what happened is, is a complicated question. Um, I often say that it, it was a perfect storm. There were so many different factors. Obviously, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by right. almost, almost 3 million votes, yet still lost the election. She's only the fifth. Uh, presidential candidate to lose uh, win the popular vote but lose the election um, in some of the states that she thought she was a shoe in she clearly wasn't a shoe in yeah um in in key states um, so can you it's, ex- it's it's complicated you know there's a lot of the state a lot of the counties that voted for you know i i, I you don't quote me on this number i think it was it, it was either two hundred and seven or two hundred nine but it was over two hundred counties that voted for Obama twice voted for Trump this election. So there that are a is lot of different mind bottling yeah. for me. Like Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 a confusing, complicated time for America and trying to uh explain this uh you know the, the ultimate resolve of the election through a single factor uh is impossible and it's insufficient. Yeah. So can you explain the electoral college and how 
how it's even possible to win the popular vote but lose the electoral vote and and how we ended up with Trump as president even though more people clearly voted for Clinton. Sure, sure. So technically, when you go to vote at the polls, you're not voting directly for a presidential candidate. You're voting for electors who represent your state. Each state has a certain amount of electors right. uh, in proportion to the size of that state. Um, in order to, like California, for example, has 55 electors because um, it's one of the biggest states. So uh, 29 states have laws that say the electors have to vote the way that their states voted. So essentially, if uh, you know the, the, Trump wins the popular vote in that state, the electors are bound by state law, but not by the Constitution. Actually, the Constitution does not uh, bind electors to vote in accordance with their state, but uh, 29 states do. They have to vote in accordance with their state. In order to win the Electoral College, you need 270 votes. Uh, so if you get enough states and you, and you break the 270 uh, benchmark, you, in, in essence, win the election. Uh, there were some people hoping that, you know, after Trump won, uh, won via the Electoral College on Election Day, that maybe the Electoral College would change its mind. Because, as I just noted, um, the Constitution does not bind the right. electors to, to vote in accordance with their state. They can essentially uh, vote on their conscience, uh, call on their conscience, and vote for whoever they like. Um, Bernie Sanders, John Kasich. Um, but obviously, as we saw yesterday, that didn't happen. So obviously, the, you know, the Electoral College was, you know, there's a lot of debate over why it was created. Some would say it was created because the founding fathers thought that the masses were too stupid to select their own president, and they would make a mistake, and they would fall victim to populism, uh, and they would elect a demagogue. Um, I'm not saying that that is Trump, but some people have that opinion about him. Um, others would say that it's, you know, today it's to protect uh, some of the less populated states from all of these coastal elites. Um, but, you know, at the same time, people argue, well, most of the people live on the coast. Um, and this isn't exactly democratic. Uh, we have some, we have more Americans voting for one candidate, yet they're getting another as a president. Um, and, and is that fair? Is that balanced? Um, some would argue yes, some would argue no. So, you know, it's an interesting time to be an American. Uh, yeah. We're having a lot of interesting is, is one way of putting it. And in some ways, it's also a scary time. Um, but we're obviously having a lot of uh, questions about our electoral process um, and if we need to reform it in the future. Yeah. What What's your personal take on that? My personal is that we need to have the conversation. Uh, I do think in many ways the Electoral College is antiquated. Um, we have changed a hell of a lot since uh, the Founding Fathers were around. Um, right. And, and I'm also of the opinion that wh while they did you know, leave us with a great framework for the country and um, you know, the, de the Declaration of Independence was beautifully written, the Constitution, Bill of Rights beautifully written, these weren't these guys were not infallible. I mean, a lot of them were right. uh, slave owners. Um, their opinion about the way the government should work is not uh, sacrosanct. I think that we need to look at modern times, look at the structure of America, and really think about what's best for us. Um, I don't think we should just rush to judgment because we're not happy about the way this election turned out. As I said, Hillary Clinton is not the first candidate to win the popular vote but lose the election. This is not the first time that this has happened. And yes, it's painful, especially for those who voted for that candidate. And yes, this election seems to be unique in many regards because, well, if we're just going to be frank, Trump is a terrifying candidate. He's extremely unqualified. Um, you know, 
we've never really faced this. This is a very unique moment for America um, to have somebody that's so severely unqualified for the presidency uh, who is filling his cabinet rapidly with some pretty frightening individuals. Um, there was an argument to be made that this is what the Electoral College was established to do, to protect America from an unqualified leader. That's essentially more or less what Alexander Hamilton wrote in the Federalist, Federalist Papers. Uh, this clearly did not occur. Um, so since the Electoral College is, is arguably not functioning as it, as it was supposed to, there's a, there's a case to be made that it's time to abolish it. Uh, and to establish, you know, more of a direct democracy, um, because I, you know, I think that that could actually probably promote more uh, uh, voting participation as well, because I do think a lot of people feel as though their vote their doesn't vote count. doesn't matter. Yeah, so, yeah, I've heard that um, a lot too, especially from like the the millennials. You know, they're like, well, what's the point of even voting? My vote doesn't matter. Especially like if you're in in the state of California or you're in, you know, a a, a more urban area where exactly. you kind of know which way, you know, you know what it's probably going to go blue. They just don't even participate. And I think that that, I mean, despite whether or not you believe that your vote matters, it does matter. And I think everybody should vote. And, you know, by not voting, we kind of put ourselves in this position and it goes far beyond just voting, but it's having these conversations and talking with your peers and, and talking to people outside of your circle and outside of, you know, the, the, small area neighborhood that you grew up in and, and getting diverse opinions and having these real conversations and opposing viewpoints to get an understanding so that we can all, you know, move forward progressively and not with Trump. Yeah, I think people need to understand when they say their vote doesn't matter. I mean, Hillary Clinton, in a sense, in terms of the way the Electoral College is structured, you know, it, it was uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin that really lost this for her. In terms of the, the amount she lost by the popular vote there, it, between the three states, it amounts to about 100,000. That's a football stadium. That, that's a football stadium that, you know, she lost the election by, more or less. Um, that, that matters. Every single vote matters in that regard. Um, you know, that's why some people were blaming third-party candidates, et cetera, because they made up the difference between, you know, 25,000 votes in one state or the other. I, I'm not really of the opinion that that's a route we should go down. Uh, if you voted, good for you. I don't care who you voted for. Thank you for participating. But your vote does matter because the margins can be so small in key states. Um, it doesn't really. It doesn't matter that you are from a traditionally blue state or red state. You should vote. Uh, it, it does count at the end of the day. Even with the current system, it does count. So what? I, but this isn't the only election we should bar, should we should be participating in, right? There are several other elections that go on far beyond just the presidential election every four years that people should be participating in. Absolutely, the next uh, big election is the midterms in 2018, and right now, Donald Trump has a Republican majority in the House and the Senate. Um, He's probably not going to have that much of a problem getting a lot of his uh, cabinet appointments uh, confirmed in the Senate. He's probably not going to have a problem filling this uh, Supreme Court, a vacant Supreme Court seat, um, because all of his buddies are in there. Um, yeah, so you know, a lot I of think... the guys. A lot, what's that? No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say a lot of the Republicans that uh, kind of stood against him during the election, because I think a lot of them thought they're, they're, that he was going to lose, so they were trying to. Uh, you know, basically have a backup plan in case this guy loses. I can say, "Hey, I stood against him when it mattered." Right now, they don't need to do that anymore. The Republican candidate won. They don't need to stand against him. It's probably in politically, 
uh, it's in their favor for them to uh, do what he wants. Um, so if we want this to change, we need to vote in the, tw- in the 2018 midterms. Uh, we need to try to get more of a balance in Congress. So what um, are the 2018 midterms exactly? What are we voting for in the midterms? Um, s- s- some states have gubernatorial races, um, but there's a lot of seats that will be vacant in Congress, and this is a chance to uh, sway the balance of power in Congress, to get more Democrats in Congress so that, you know, that, that there there isn't a Republican majority in terms of who is making the laws for our country. Um, I think a lot of people make the mistake of viewing the president as the end-all and be-all of American power. But they need to keep it in mind that some members of Congress have been there for half a century, um, for like a lifetime. Um, and that's a lot of power. Uh, they, they've been there forever. They, they are pulling all of the strings in Washington. They know how it works. Uh, this is where a lot of you know, the biggest changes in history occur. Uh, this is where our future is decided in many respects. And presidents are only around for you know, four, uh, four years, eight years ideally uh, for, for them. Um, they often don't get as much done as we perceive them uh, to get done. Um, the real change occurs in Congress. So if we want real change to occur, we need to make sure that we're participating in the elections that determine who's in Congress so that our voices are heard. So the things that we care about, so the progressive issues that we're champion are paid attention to. Because when you don't vote, you're essentially signifying to legislators that you don't matter. They don't have to pay attention to what you care about because they can't count on your vote. So they're going to pay attention to the people who do tend to vote in midterms. And who's that? Old people who tend to be conservative. Right. Uh, in the in the in the uh, 2014 midterms, for example, uh, millennials, uh, people that are roughly 18 to 30 years old, comprise just 13 percent of the electorate. Yet we make up the biggest share of the electorate next to baby boomers. There are 69 million eligible millennial voters, and we're voting at a fraction of our size. And we're sitting here complaining about the shape of the country, but we're not doing anything about it. So we don't really have a right to complain if we're not participating. Absolutely. So I think for me, at least where we're at right now, the scary part, and I think a lot of people are now starting to see this and realize this, that it's not so much the issue with Trump personally, or, uh, I mean, yes, he's unqualified. Yes, he's an awful, the things that he says are just disgusting and it's not something we should have representing our country. But I think it's, it's beyond just the idea of Trump or the idea that somebody like Trump can even get, become president, but also the people that he's now starting to appoint and the people that he's now starting to, to look at bringing into office with him. I think that's kind of like the scary reality for me that I think a lot of people that voted for him are now starting to realize this was a snake oil salesman that basically conned all of these people into voting for him and now is doing all of the things he said that he was against. Yeah, I mean, I said it. Uh, we do a, 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 at Ellie Daily, me and my colleague, Alex Focus, the other, one of the other great writers, Ellie Daily, we do a, a politics Facebook Live uh, every week, once a week. And I said this the other day. Um, it's not just liberals that got uh, that that he's trolling with his cabinet picks right now. He's trolling conservatives and the people that voted for him too. I mean, he's appointing people that have worked for, that worked for Goldman Sachs uh, for nearly two decades. Uh, Steve Mnuchin. I'm probably butchering his last name. I don't think anyone can say it correctly. <laughs> this is his pick for uh, 
Treasury Secretary, this man worked for Goldman Sachs for 17 years and profited off of the housing crisis. Trump made it one of his biggest, one of the biggest pieces of his rhetoric throughout his campaign was, oh, look at uh, corrupt Hillary uh, buddying up with uh, people on Wall Street, giving these private speeches for thousands upon thousands of dollars for Goldman Sachs, released the transcripts. And what is he doing? He's turning around, he's appointing people from Wall Street and Goldman Sachs to be in his administration. This should, this should be very insulting to a lot of his supporters uh, who supposedly are upset about the Great Recession and about this corruption on Wall Street and about all of these uh, lobbyists and corrupt people that are, you know, he said, drain the swamp. He's filling the swamp with slugs and anacondas and alligators. Yeah, he's really um, inflating the swamp here now. Yes. So I, I, and also, on the other side of it, he's appointing a lot of people that are enemies of civil liberties. Um, Michael Flynn, uh, uh, this will be his national security advisor, described Islam as a cancer. Uh, Jeff Sessions, who he uh, is nominated for attorney general, he was considered too racist to be a judge in 1986. He was nominated for a federal judgeship by President Reagan, but ultimately he was, uh, his, uh, appoint- his nomination was denied because former colleagues testified that he used the N-word and that he had once said that he thought the KKK was okay until he found out they smoked marijuana. Um, and on top of that, we have Stephen Bannon, who will be his uh, chief strategist. Stephen Bannon worked on his campaign. Stephen Bannon's a former head of Breitbart News. Uh, Breitbart News, uh, Stephen Bannon formerly uh, referred, to that, referred to it as a platform for the alt-right. And the alt-right is another way of saying neo-Nazis. So this was a man who ran a website that he essentially described as a platform for neo-Nazis and, and, and white nationalism. I can't sugarcoat this. We should be very concerned. Uh, we, we have to be uh, awake about this. We have to stay woke, so to speak. This is, this is not a time to sit on the sidelines and pretend everything is going to be okay. Uh, fear is an appropriate response to this election. I think a lot of people want to stay away from fear because fear is what got Trump elected. But there's a right. difference between a, ra- a rational fear and then natural fear. Natural fear helps you survive. It's what stops you from jumping off of a cliff. Uh, it is natural to fear Trump, and, and we should embrace that fear uh, because it, it's, it's vital to our republic survival, I would argue. So I think there's this, and I, I, I may be speaking out of place, but I think there's a general, at least for like me, who voted for Hillary, who didn't vote for Trump, who was very against it and trying to get people to vote and and really pay attention to the election, um, where now I kind of feel like, okay, but well, he won. Like, what what is there left to do? So what are our options? How do we take action going forward, not just every four years, but, but year-round? You know, what can we do far more than just participating in the elections? What are some, you know, practical, easy tips that we can, that we can, that you have for us? Number one, stay informed. I mean, most of us walk around with what is essentially a handheld computer. Uh, We really have no excuse to not be on top of the news. It takes five minutes. There's so many different things that you can look at uh, that offer very quick summaries of what's going on, Um, whether it's John Oliver or The Daily Show, or you just looking at Twitter Moments, which basically offers a summary of the news, or perusing uh, trending topics on Facebook. Um, with that said, we also have to be careful about this phenomenon of fake news, um, right. which is you know, obviously a very broad and probably too liberally used term. Um, but what I'm trying to say is be wary of propaganda, be wary of false information, 
make sure that what you're reading has, a, you know, has sources, is from an accredited website uh, that is established. Um, of course, major news outlets make mistakes, but for the most part, you can rely on those, that information. If it's being reported by one website, you might want to be wary of it. Um, so stay informed. Spread awareness when you can. That doesn't mean shove your views down people's throats, but, you know, share information, be a productive uh, part of the conversation. Um, don't just, you know, shun people away because you don't like their views. That doesn't mean take abuse. You know, don't stay friends with that guy who's, uh, you know, throwing racial slurs at you on Facebook. Right. Maybe that's a, it's a time to defriend him. But just, be, you know, maybe you have that one cousin who voted for Trump and you don't like his Facebook post, you can't just neglect the guy for the rest right. of his life. At, at some point, we're all going to have to have a conversation. Yeah, so do um, you think when we see those t- like people with the difference of opinion, do you think we should be engaging in conversations with them? Maybe not necessarily in an abrupt or abrasive manner, but you know, being willing to have an open conversation with people. I, I feel like that's something that we don't do enough. Yeah, a- absolutely. I, I think... There's a tendency on the left right now to want to say, well, Trump is a racist, misogynistic, uh, xenophobic, sexist. Uh, You know, there is really no, I don't really have an argument against that. And people will say, well, because of that, everyone who voted for him is the same. Um, I have a a bit of a problem with that. I think it's, John John Stewart had a really good uh, quote about this the other day. He said, liberals hate it when uh, people like Trump paint Muslims um, or refugees or immigrants as a monolith, basically stereotyping an entire group of people. He said it's kind of hypocritical for liberals to turn around and say, well, every single Trump supporter is racist. Uh, It's not particularly helpful. And research also shows that conversation can help thwart racial bias. But one of the last ways that you're going to be able to thwart racial bias is by saying, hey, you're a racist. Nobody's going to sit down and listen to you. Having a, you know, somebody says something that might arguably be racist, you can say, hey, why do you think that way? Or do you not see why that might be offensive to this group? Or have you considered looking at it this way? Um, actually, interestingly enough, uh, President Obama said something like that the other day. He said, when I encountered racism, uh, I would, you know, he said more or less, I would sit down and say, well, have you not considered looking at it this way? It, it takes a lot to do that. You know, I'm a, a white, straight male asking people to do that. I'm obviously in a much safer place to go off and have these conversations. Um, but I really do think that if we're going to make progress with the other side, we're going to have to try to be the bigger people sometimes uh, and have the painful, tough conversations that are uncomfortable. Because uh, you, you can change minds that way. Um, like I said, don't take abuse. Don't put yourself in danger. But when the opportunity presents itself, do your best to have that civil conversation because it could have more of an impact than you can imagine. Absolutely. I think these are the conversations that we, we really need to be having. Obviously you need to be mindful of each you know situation that you engage in. But for the most part, it's like, I think that's why we ended up where we are. People aren't having conversations. People aren't, you know, talking to people that they don't agree with or trying to understand both sides of it. Um, and, and I can say I'm a little guilty of it as well. I, I think I... But we all are. Yeah. We all are. And I think yeah. we, we just need to get better about that. I think we can take this as a big learning lesson and a big way to, to motivate ourselves to do something going forward. I mean, if you're really pissed off at this election, that's not a reason to not participate next time. It's another reason to get even more involved. 
Yeah, I mean, it just says a lot that so many of the counties that voted twice for Obama flipped and voted for Trump this time. Yeah. Um, it's really tough uh, for people to say, well, all Trump supporters are racist when a lot of them voted for Obama twice. Um, it, it's tough to make that argument. Uh, I, I'm not saying there wasn't racism involved in this election. There clearly was in a very unsettling way. Um, but we have to consider why would somebody who voted for Obama twice, our first black president in a country with a long history of racism, country founded by slave owners, why would somebody vote for this man twice and then turn around and vote for somebody like Donald Trump? Well, clearly there's a lot going on here. Some people feel neglected. Um, some people feel that the Democratic Party is not properly uh, paying attention to certain segments of the country. Um, you know, I, I do think we also need to avoid saying that the only people that voted for Trump were white working class people, because this, the stats actually show that that's not true. Uh, he also won among college educated whites, uh, white women, uh, even white, even more white millennials. He didn't win a majority of white millennials, but more white millennials voted for Trump than for Hillary. I think it was 48% voted for Trump, 43% voted for Hillary. So white people in general did vote for Trump. And there's definitely, uh, you can't say that there's not some, some racial tension there. Right. Uh, and you can't completely eliminate racism out of the equation. But a, a large portion of black men also voted for Trump. Um, a lot of black men didn't vote at all either. Um, so if, if Clinton was running on this, you know, this notion that I'm continuing uh, the legacy of Barack Obama yet a lot of black men didn't vote, um, it, it's complicated. It's not all about race. There, there's a lot of different things going on here is all I'm trying to say. Absolutely. So what do you see the next four years looking like for our country? <sighs> it's a very good question. I think what we need to try to do is take it day by day. Um, I think trying to predict uh, the entire future um, will stress out everyone and send them into a panic. <laughs> right. I think um, that's where a lot of, of I think that's where a lot of the anxiety right now is coming from for people is you know what what a Trump pres presidency even looks like. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like I said, uh a lot of his cabinet appointments are very unsettling. Um and I think everyone should definitely read into them. Um and and you know, there's a lot of good summaries um, including one that I wrote, shameless self-promotion. Yes, about the various uh, cabinet appointments. Um, with that said, a lot of these require Senate confirmation. Who knows if, for example, uh, Trump's nominee for Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, who has close ties with Vladimir Putin, will get approved, uh, will get uh, confirmed, because even a lot of Republicans are concerned about his ties to Russia, particularly in this climate. So I think what we need to do is take it day by day. Um, you know, you were asking a few minutes ago, what else can we do? Uh, volunteer for certain organizations. Donate to uh, organizations you know are fighting for civil liberties, like the ACLU. Uh, donate to Planned Parenthood if you are concerned about reproductive rights. Volunteer. Um, continue to spread awareness. Continue the conversation. As we said, there, there is just there are so many different issues that are going to be impacted by this. Pick an issue. You don't need to do everything. No one is, is Superman or Superwoman. Pick an issue that matters to you and, and do your best to focus on that and spread awareness and volunteer if you can. Call up your, uh, your, your local representative and make sure that they're paying attention to this. Uh, be a, you know, I always say this to people, be a productive pain in the ass. Um, yeah. I, 
It's, you it's know what? Being a be. pain in the ass gets the job done. I mean, you don't have it to be like a pest, done. but it gets things no. done. It gets things done. It, it does work. Uh, just don't, you know, don't be quiet. Protest. Right. Protest isn't the only thing um, that can accomplish things. But clearly, as we just saw in North Dakota, protest works. So anyone that tells you that protest doesn't work, they're out of their minds. You uh, actually are, are went it? out and participated in the protest in New York, right? I did. I did. I, well, I was, I was covering it, but yes. I mean, it was, it was in a sense, you got swept up in it. Uh, I mean, it was a very, it was the night after the election. It was very emotional. Uh, Donald Trump might be from New York, but the vast majority of people in the city are not exactly big fans of his. So, uh, <laughs> I love it. It was, it was, there's a lot of solidarity exhibited in, in New York, in Manhattan and across New York. Um, after election night, um, and so that was that was pretty special. Thousands upon thousands of people descended upon Trump Tower to give uh, the president-elect a piece of their mind. So that that was pretty inspiring. But you know, we've seen throughout our history with the civil rights movement, uh, with suffragettes, uh, even in a sense the revolution. Acts of protest do change things. Um, so you can participate in that peaceful protest. I want to reiterate peaceful protest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's so many different things you can do to get involved. So. I don't want people to feel like they're helpless. There, there are so many different things. Um, so we all have we all have a role to play. Yeah. So, John, I think it's fair to say that you're probably one of the um, one of the or, or represent a, a demographic in our country that's probably going to be um, the least affected by some of the outrageous and extreme things that Trump has kind of thrown out there. Um, you know, being a, a, a white male, um, how or why are you so? Because I mean, you went out and you participated in the protest. You continue to write about it on Elite Daily. You continue to tweet about it and educate people about it. You came back on this show to talk to people. So, what motivated you as somebody that could have very easily just walked away from the conversation and and put his head down? Why were you so uh, socially motivated to take action? This is, uh, you know, uh, people I love are going to be impacted by some of Trump's policy proposals. Um, just because I'm not specifically targeted by some of his proposals uh, doesn't mean it doesn't impact me in a sense. Um, it, yes, it impacts me less directly, but emotionally it impacts me as, a, as an American citizen. It impacts me. I'm somebody who, who wholeheartedly believes that the America is not a perfect country, but we're a great idea. I don't think we're an idea that's been fully realized yet. Um, but the notion that all men and women are created equal and should be given equal opportunity to me is something that I think is a beautiful thing that should be upheld um, and is worth fighting for. So it's, yeah, it's about caring about my community and, and not just locally, but nationally. Um, and realizing that as a white male, um, I, I do have a great deal of privilege. Um, I am the direct descendant of slave owners <laughs> Um, you know, this isn't about having uh, white guilt, but it's about, you know, trying to work towards white awareness, uh, particularly white male awareness, and, and seeing how uh, history does have consequences. And one of the consequences is that, you know, it doesn't mean that all white men are born into a world where they're automatically given success and, and wealth, but that we have a bit of a head start on most groups. Um, and I think we are arguably have, a, have a, an, you know, a moral obligation to use this privilege um, to stand up for the less privileged and to, you know, not speak for them, um, but, but speak with them and stand, you know, stand with them. Um, I, th I think it's just the right thing to do, in my humble opinion.
John, I could not have said it better myself. Thank you so much for calling in and for chatting and breaking down this election, making some sense of it and giving us some actionable tips that we can use going forward. I mean, that's really all we can do at this point. So thank you. I appreciate you calling in. What are your social media handles um, where people can follow you? JC Haltelwanger. Uh, it's on Twitter. Um, it's, it's a very long name to spell. I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys try to guess that. Um, but yeah, try to try to follow me on Twitter at JC Haltelwanger. I'd love to talk with you guys some more. Yes. And Zach, thanks so, so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. I um, mean, you can always head over to EliteDaily.com. John has great articles. That's how I've been following the election. So thank you, John, and the uh, the politics team at Elite Daily. Um, and don't worry about his social media handles. Just go to my pages. I'll tag him so you can then go and follow him. <laughs> the network studios will also tag him. So have no fear, John Haltelwanger. People will find you. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Zach. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and listen every Wednesday on iTunes. Um, if you don't have an iPhone, you can listen on Stitcher or always online at the Network Studios. I got to go. Bye.